Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. This week, I came across a chart uh, that's from 2018, and it was produced by Chapman University. Um, And it's funny to me, because as I looked at this, it's almost like a time capsule, uh, because this is before corona craziness hit the world. And it lists, it has this title that says, more Americans are afraid than ever before, which makes me laugh because I think we would still use that title today. But at that time, uh, this was the top fears of people. Number one, uh, corrupt government officials. Two and three is pollution. Uh, Four is not having enough money. Five and six is people we love getting ill or dying. Uh, seven, air pollution, eight, extinction of animals, nine, global warming, and 10, high medical bills. And again, as I looked at this, and it, it, it felt like a time capsule to me, I chuckled at it because I think, again, we would say today that Americans are more afraid than ever before. In some ways, it seems like our fears have been on steroids over the past two years. Today, there are people who are afraid of vaccines, people who are afraid of the unvaccinated. Uh, Some people are afraid of Republican politicians. Some are afraid of Democratic politicians. Some are afraid of government overreach. Some are afraid that the government isn't doing enough. Some are afraid of critical race theory. Some are afraid that racism will never get any better in America. Some are afraid uh, that the country will collapse and some are afraid that the country will continue as is. Some are afraid of dying. Some are afraid of living. There is fear that has become pandemic in our culture. And I'm not saying that it's not right to be concerned, to engage in our culture, to form opinions and communicate those opinions. But what seems to have been happening is that healthy concerns have become all-consuming fears for so many people. So much so that it dominates their lives and their thinking and even their identity. They have alienated and demonized people who disagree with them. And some have even forsaken commands uh, in scripture in order to follow and be adherent to their new religion. And the reason why this has happened, I think a big reason why this has happened is because of fear. Because they are afraid that they will lose something precious to them, whether it be their freedom, their health, their loved ones, or their money. Last week in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, we learned that the Apostle John has been in prison on the island of Patmos for preaching the gospel. And he has this revelation in which God pulls back the curtain to show the invisible realities that are going on in the heavenly realms, but also to show what is to come. And God tells John to write down what he sees to the seven churches in Turkey that have endured heavy persecution. As we noted last week, Christians were being crucified. 
They were being fed to dogs. They were set on fire. They were publicly executed. And once this book of Revelation is sent out, it only gets worse. The persecution only elevates. I mean, I don't want to be too graphic, but, but, but they have horses pulling them limb from limb. They have other things. I, just, I can't even speak from the stage because it's just so horrifying. And so I think it's fair to say that those who were the original recipients of the letter of Revelation knew what it was like to live in a crazy and chaotic world. They knew what it was like to be tempted, to be overcome with fear and with anger. And in the book of Revelation, God is encouraging his people to be faithful, even in the midst of the turmoil, by revealing more and more to us about who Jesus is what he's up to, and what he is going to do. And so if you would, please turn to Revelation chapter 1. It is the last book in the Bible, uh, first chapter. We will be looking at verses 10 through 20. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 through 20. This is the Apostle John speaking in verse 10. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flame, like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forever and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. So the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Lord God, we come confessing that we are a people who are often overcome with fear. Fear of all varieties, Lord. And so God, pray that through this passage, through your word, that you would overcome our fears and that you would draw us to be faithful to you in the midst of the craziness of a broken and fallen world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, many in the early church, especially the time of the writing of the book of Revelation and afterwards, there, there were many who were undergoing severe persecution, uh, not for their political opinions, but for proclaiming Christ. And what amazed their captors and executioners was not that they would endure such suffering for their faith, but how they endured this suffering, of how they would suffer with such peace and such joy and even love for their captors, their enemies, their executioners. 
And so the question is, how were these Christians able to suffer with such peace and such joy and such love towards those who they would be prone to hate? Well, the answer is here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 through 20. And of course, it centers around Jesus because the whole book of Revelation is the revealing of the glory of Jesus. And so I want to ask this question, what is it about Jesus that helps us live out life fearlessly and faithfully in a crazy world? What is it about Jesus that helps us live out our life faithfully and fearlessly in a crazy world. And the first is this, is that Jesus is our present priest. Look at verse 10 with me. John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day being a Sunday. And so even though John was uh, uh, alienated from the church, he still sought to worship the Lord on the Lord's day. He was in the spirit. And then it says, then I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. If you notice here, Jesus is addressing the churches. He's addressing his church. He's not just addressing Christians individually, but he's addressing the church because the church is not a creation of man. The church is God's idea. The church is what God has established. God is the one who sustains the church. God is the one who loves the church. And so while many today may dismiss or devalue the church, God loves the church because the church is his bride, his people, his instrument of instruction and the redemption of the world. Verse 12, he continues, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. Now we can speculate what these seven golden lampstands are, or we can go to verse 20. So let's go to verse 20, and we are told what these seven golden lampstands are. Verse 20 says, As for the mystery of the seven stars, which we'll get to later, that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so what are the seven lampstands? They are the seven churches in modern day Turkey. Now the question is, why, why are they symbolized by lampstands? Why aren't they crosses or bushes or cows or something else? Why are they symbolized as lampstands? Well, it's because the church is God's light in a very crazy, chaotic, and dark world. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Notice here, Jesus does not command you to be the light. Jesus says, you are the light. You are the light of the world. And then he gives us this warning not to hide our light. 
which means that we as a church are not simply to gather in a holy huddle and confine ourselves to all the Christian circles we can find out of fear of the world, but that we are the light of the world to be put on a lampstand to drive out the darkness. You know, I hear a lot of Christians talk about how dark certain things are, how dark maybe the public school is or how dark the the, the political scene is or how dark my neighborhood is or how dark downtown Green Bay is or how dark this is or that is. And we say this as an accusation against non-Christians. But could it be that the reason why things grow dark is because we have taken all the lights out of it? You see, we are called to be lampstands, not to hide our light and seclude into these Christian circles. Don't get me wrong, we're not supposed to give ourselves completely over. We have to be careful, but we're called to penetrate the darkness as a church of God to bring light into a dark world. And so whenever you complain about something being dark in this world, keep in mind, it could be because we have withdrawn all the lights from those spheres, you know, for Trish and I, we, we homeschool our kids. And so, so, you know, it's a Christian bubble in our house. And, and we, we, I work at a church which is surrounded by Christians. And so we have to be very intentional to make sure that we are not secluding ourselves to the comfort and confines of only Christian people. We love fellowship. We need fellowship. But we also intentionally seek out the darkness to bring the light of Christ, and it is hard, it is messy, it is sad. But we are called not to hide our lights because we are lampstands for the light of Jesus. Verse 12 continues and he says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, again the seven churches, and in the midst or among the lampstands, one like a son of man. This son of man has a lot of weightiness to it. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you probably know this. Uh, it refers back to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, we read this. I saw in the night visions, this is Daniel talking as he had a vision. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, talking about the Lord, God the Father, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. In other words, this son of man that is coming on a cloud would be the forever king of the kingdom of God. This is the one who Revelation 1.13 says is in the midst of our church. And so who is this son of man? Who is this everlasting king? Well, if you are familiar with the gospels, you probably know the term that Jesus most ascribes to himself, the title that he most gives to himself is this very one, the son of man. He says to Judas, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And so Jesus is that son of man who comes into our midst, who is that everlasting king. Verse 13 continues and it says, And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his 
chest. This description of a long robe and a golden sash is a description of the high priest in the Old Testament times. Except, except the high priest, they would have this long robe, but they would not have a golden sash. They would have a sash of fine linen. But Jesus' sash is gold because he is royalty. And so not only is he king, but he is also our high priest. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is our high priest today? Well, the role of the high priest was to minister to the people. And not only to minister to the people, but to be an intermediary between God and man. And so not only does Jesus, our great high priest, speak to us through his word about God, but he also speaks to God about us. He is constantly interceding for us, the book of Hebrews says. We see this in the high priestly prayer right before Christ goes to the cross. And in his high priestly prayer, he cries out to the Father that the Father would fortify us in the midst of trials, that the Father would sanctify us in the midst of temptations, that the Father would unify us in the midst of polarization. And that he would loveify us in the midst of hatred. Jesus is our great high priest. Who not only offered the sacrifice for our sins. But gave himself to be the sacrifice for our sin. And the good news that John is telling us. Is that Jesus the great high priest. Who ministers to us. Is in the midst of us. He is with us. Always to the very end of the age. There's this radio commercial that's been on, and I don't know if I've heard it on Pandora or on the radio or, or where it is, but, but there's this commercial that keeps coming on for a local healthcare clinic. And, uh, and the way that this radio commercial goes is that you'll hear a kid crying out, I'm scared, I don't know what to do, I I'm afraid. And, and then you'll hear the parent's voice say, it's okay, I'm here. It's okay, I'm here. And this is repeated throughout. Different kids will, will cry out and say they're scared and they're afraid and they don't know what to do. And then the parent's voice will come on and say, it's okay, I'm here, I'm here, I'm with you. And then the final end is the hospital saying, we're here for you, right? That's kind of the conclusion of it. Through this vision, Jesus is reassuring his church who is suffering great persecution, who is living in the midst of a crazy and chaotic world that it's okay because Jesus, our great high priest, our everlasting king is with us right now. He is present here in the midst of us today in a very special way as his church, but he also goes with us through his Holy Spirit. And so what is it about Jesus that helps us live out life fearlessly and faithfully? First, it is that Jesus is our great high priest who is in our midst, ever ministering to us and interceding for us to be strengthened, sanctified, unified, and overwhelmed by his love. It's the first thing. The second thing, the second thing that we learn about Jesus that helps us live in this world fearlessly and faithfully is that Jesus is our mighty Messiah. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, the hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. The book of Revelation is full of symbolism. These verses are no different. This description of Jesus in these verses tells much about the majesty of Jesus. 
Verse 14 starts with the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. You see, in biblical, uh, in Old Testament, gray hair was not something to be ashamed of. It wasn't something to hide. It was, it was a badge of honor. It was a crown of glory. It represented wisdom. And so here we're told his, his, his hair is brilliant white, expressing the ultimate wisdom of this Messiah. It continues in verse 14 and says, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. In other words, they were so hot, they were glowing. It was bright, it was brilliant. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Now this description again is so helpful because it points us back to, to the prophetic uh, Messiah that is to come. In Daniel chapter 7, 10, excuse me, in Daniel 10, we read this about the coming Messiah. It says, his body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And so we see in the book of Revelation that John is seeing the same mighty Messiah that appeared to Daniel thousands and thousands of years earlier. Now, what do these things? Well, the flaming eyes express the penetrating gaze of Jesus, who is able to look into our hearts and see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he will do that through the, through the seven churches over the next seven weeks as we look at that. But he exposes those things. And it says that his voice was like the roar of many waters, the sound of a multitude. It was great and awesome. And then verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. We're told in verse 20 again that these seven stars are the seven angels. This word angel is literally interpreted messenger. And so it's seven messengers to the seven churches. Some commentators say that they think this is actually the seven pastors of the seven churches. But what we know for sure is that the seven messengers to the seven churches that we're going to be going through over the next seven weeks are held in the hand of Jesus. And then it says, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Not just a two-edged sword, but a sharp two-edged sword. We're told what this two-edged sword is in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the word of God is surgical. It cuts away lies we believe, the sins we justify, the fears that consume us. It slices and dices our motivations and our passions and our behaviors and our words and our action. God's word should cut us to the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is painful, but it is so good because it is God cutting away the filth from our hearts and from our lives. Continues, it says, and his face, the face of Jesus was like the sun shining in full strength. I don't recommend you do this, but have you ever looked straight into the sun in the middle of summer? It's not a pleasant experience. Maybe you do it on a dare. It's not recommended to do because it can make you go blind. But, but if you look into the sun, there is such a brilliance that you cannot stand it. And it's saying this is the face of Jesus in this transfigured state that it is glowing so bright. It's like looking into the brightest sun. And, and when it's talking about the brightness of Jesus, it's talking about his glory. We read this later in Revelation 21. It says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? 
For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. And so for just a minute, can you put your put yourself in John's place. Imagine you are John, you're on the island of Patmos, you are, you're in the spirit on the Lord's day, and this transfigured Jesus shows up with brilliant white hair, with flaming eyes of fire, with feet glowing, a voice like a waterfall, and a mouth shooting forth a sharp two-edged sword and face shining so bright that you can't even look at it because it's as bright as the sun. How would you respond at such an appearance of Jesus? Well, we see how John responds in verse 17. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So I, um, I've asked uh, some friends if I can tell this joke from the pulpit, and they said yes, maybe just to get me in trouble. And so I asked my wife, and she said it was okay as well. So I'm kind of throwing everyone under the bus in case this goes too far. But, but there's this joke I heard uh, about two weeks ago, and I think it helps illustrate this point. Uh, the, the story goes like this, that there is this pirate ship, and, and the, they're sailing along, and the man who's up on the crow's nest or whatever it's called has his telescope out, and he yells down to the captain. He says, Captain, Captain, there is an enemy ship on the horizon headed our direction. And the captain says, quick, everyone get ready. He turns to his assistant and he says, hey, give me my red shirt. And so the assistant goes, gets his red shirt. He puts his red shirt on. They fight the battle and they win the battle and everyone's celebrating. And the assistant says to him, captain, that was wonderful, but, but help me understand, why did, why did you put on a red shirt? And he said, well, it was just in case in the midst of battle, if I was wounded and I started to bleed, I did not want the, the other guys on the ship to lose heart and start fighting. And so I thought the red shirt could camouflage my blood. And the assistant thought, wow, that's, you know, very chivalrous. It's very noble uh, that he would do that. That's, that's, that's really awesome. Well, a couple of days goes by and the man is back up on the eagle's nest looking out with his telescope. And he says, captain, captain, I see on the horizon there are 20 enemy ships headed our direction. And the captain says, get ready. And then he turns to his assistant and says, quick, give me my brown pants. <laughs> if you don't get it, ask someone after the service. But here's the thing. If we saw the transfigured Jesus face to face, we would need more than brown pants. We would need a mattress to land on. Because we would fall dead. We may not even need brown pants because we might fall down before we know anything is going on. Because that is the glory and majesty and might of our Messiah. And this is the hope that John is trying to give to a people who feel overwhelmed by the powers of the world. This side of the curtain, at Jesus' first coming, he may have looked very normal and plain. But when he returns, he will display his might his majesticness, his magnificence as our Messiah. And this is good news for us, only if he is on our side. And that leads us to our final point. Jesus is our present high priest. Jesus is our magnificent, mighty, majestic Messiah. Finally, Jesus is our heavenly hero. Verse 17, again, look there with me. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though Dead. Now, I'm not a boxer, I'm not an MMA fighter, but I'm pretty sure if you are laying on your face as though dead, that is a pretty vulnerable position. 
there's a pretty good chance you're not going to win the fight if you're laying on your face as dead. And so the question is, how does Jesus respond to him when he falls on his face as though dead? And it continues and says, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. Fear not death, fear not persecution, fear not my judgment, fear not your enemies. Because he says, I am the first and the last. I am from before time began and I will be there at the end of time. I am the first and the last, the alpha and omega who is sovereign over all things. And in verse 18, and the living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus is proclaiming that, that yes, he came, he died on the cross for our sins, but he rose on the third day and he ascended on into heaven to never die again. And so our, our heavenly hero, our, our priest, our high priest, is our, our reigning king is going to be alive forever and for always. He will never leave us or forsake us. And then it continues and he says, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, I don't have a long time explaining this, but this word Hades does not mean hell. It does not mean a place of punishment necessarily. It literally just means the grave or the realm of the dead. And what Jesus is saying is that I have the keys to come and unlock the realm of the dead to set them free. You know, this is kind of reminds me of, of that game that I played as a kid called Capture the Flag, where we would run into enemy territory and we get caught and we put in prison, you know, on a bench or something like that. And as we sat in the bench, uh, we would wait for, for a hero to come into enemy territory and to free us from the prison so that we could run back to safety. I know it's a silly illustration, but, but if we could picture ourselves being in prison and awaiting, awaiting for a hero to come, and to liberate us. This is the picture that Jesus has, that Jesus will come and that he will uh, unlock the doors of death and free us to raise bodily from the dead. Now, this is good news for some and this is bad news for others. We read about this in Revelation chapter 20. It says this, that death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them because Jesus unlocked the door. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so this resurrection, this freeing from the realm of death, is horrible news for those who do not trust in Christ. But it is the greatest news in the world's for those who follow Jesus. And so let me ask, do you trust in Christ for your salvation? If you do, this is good news, that we will be raised from the dead, not to be thrown into the lake of fire, but to dwell with our heavenly hero for all eternity. Let me end with this. Uh, let me end with verse 19. If you look there with me, Jesus gives this command to John. He says, write therefore the things that you have seen those that are and those that are to take place after this. Why is it that Jesus wants John to write these things down? Why is it that, that Jesus wants John to send this out to the seven churches, particularly, but the church at large? Why is this that Jesus wants this recorded for us? Is it simply to create in us more panic, more fear, and more anxiety? You know, I'm afraid that, that there are theologians who have hijacked the book of Revelation to turn it into that and into causing fear into Christians. 
I, I had actually a message from a person this week that said this. They said, I need some comfort and counsel on the book of Revelation. Some years back, listening to sermons about uh, the thousand year reign was mentioned. Since then, it's just an upsetting topic for me. I felt it raise up in me as soon as you said we were doing Revelation. Do you have any comfort on this? And the answer is yes. Listen, would, would Jesus say, write these words down and give it to suffering Christians who are in the midst of a crazy and chaotic world who are tempted to be afraid? Give it to them to cause them more fear and anxiety. Well, would that be why Jesus would want this? Of course not. That would make him a horrible savior. You see, the book of Revelation was not written to scare us, but to comfort us in the midst of a dark and fallen and crazy world. Because the book of Revelation reveals to us that Jesus is our present high priest who stands in our midst as his church. Because Jesus is our magnificent, mighty, majestic Messiah who is coming again. And because Jesus is our heavenly hero that has come on a rescue mission for us. I heard one pastor put it this way, that if the book of Revelation had a theme song, the theme song would be, We Are the Champions by Queen. You know that song? We are the champions, my friends, and we'll keep on fighting to the end. I know you love the voice. We are the champions of the world. Why are we champions? Not because of anything that we have done or will do, but because Christ is our champion on our behalf. And the way that the story ends is that we win. We win in Jesus. And so as you read through the book of Revelation, as we read through the book of Revelation, if you are not in Christ, it should cause you terror and turn to Jesus. But if you are a Christian, this should be a, a book of great comfort and great joy that our heavenly hero will win the day on our behalf. The verdict has been determined. There is nothing up to chance. We will live with him in the end for always and forever. May the book of Revelation be a blessing to you, a joy to you. And may it cause you to live fearlessly and faithfully in this world. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you have given us a champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will win the war on our behalf and that we who trust in him can live in this world at peace, knowing that, that we will reign with you in the end, that this world is not all that there is, that there is something so much more beautiful and wonderful and glorious to come for us. May we set our hopes and affections not on the things of this world, but on the world that is to come, not on the temporariness of this world, but on the everlasting kingdom that you have established for us, that we will be in with you forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.